Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The Jazz Session is also available at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. This week's guest is trombonist Jeff Albert. His new album with the Jeff Albert Quartet is similar in the opposite way. From that album, here's the title track. My guest is trombonist, composer, band leader Jeff Albert. Jeff and his quartet have a new recording out called Similar in the Opposite Way, and it's my pleasure to uh, welcome Jeff to the show. Thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. It's good, good to be here. Nice to talk to you. So uh, can you tell me something about the uh, kind of creative, improvised music scene in New Orleans? It, it's not the first thing that people think of when they think of New Orleans, but it sounds from this record and uh, from what I've been reading like there's a, a pretty vibrant scene there doing the kind of stuff that you do. Yeah, it's it's getting to be that way more and more. Um, back before Katrina, there was a bubbling of a real creative scene amongst a bunch of the, especially students. There's two fairly strong uh, university jazz programs at the University of New Orleans and at Loyola University in New Orleans. And, uh, and so having all those young, excited musicians around tends to make things happen sometimes. And uh, there was a great scene just starting to get going around Frenchman Street before the storm. 
and uh, and the flood sort of washed a, a number of those people away. But we've been been building it back up, and uh, and it's yeah, there's there's quite a bit going on. And one of the things that New Orleans has that I always say is the blessing and the curse of New Orleans is that you can make a living playing music in New Orleans, which is great because you have a lot of guys who are in fabulous shape on their instruments because. That's what they do for a living, is they play. But the downside of that is then you have to make a living playing, which often turns into, well, I can't do this really creative gig because this other gig's going to pay my phone bill. You know, so the, the financial issues become a blessing and a curse from the, the fact that you can make a living. But there's, there's um, quite a scene that gets, uh, it, it's, it's active. There's a lot of creative things going on. It doesn't always get the coverage that I think it deserves sometimes. Because there's so much other stuff happening in New Orleans, you know. So where is Frenchman Street, and why is this scene kind of coalescing around that particular street? Frenchman Street is right on the east side of the French Quarter, sort of down near the river. Like if you're on Decatur Street in the French Quarter and you walk east, you'll run into Frenchman Street. And uh, Snug Harbor is on Frenchman Street, which is sort of the premier modern jazz room in town. Um, you know, if people like Steve Toure or Sonny Fortune or somebody comes to town, that's where they're going to play, is it snug. And then there's a number of other clubs on Frenchman Street. I curate, co-curate a Tuesday night series called the Open Ears Music Series. It's at a club called the Blue Nile, which is on Frenchman. Uh, there's another club called the Dragon's Den that's actually on Esplanade, but it's like half a block off of Frenchman. And there's three or four other rooms on Frenchman Street that, seem to always have music and uh, so it's a nice place to go if you aren't into hearing mustang sally <laughs> which if you want to hear mustang sally you can catch that on bourbon street uh, nicely played <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, this this album which has a real mix of compositional and or kind of through composed and free elements can you can you kind of talk about the mix there and and why you chose the particular mix that you did what you were hoping to achieve what you were uh, hoping to allow the other musicians with you to do i really enjoyed the improvisational aspect of what we do and the guys in the band are great improvisers but there's always this hit and miss in completely freely improvised situations. You know, you have these wonderful religious moments, and then by the nature of it, sometimes you have stuff that doesn't work. When you just walk in and say, okay, no rules, go. So what I try to do with these compositions is to sort of hedge the bets in our favor a little bit, to present situations that will get us from a unified starting point. So we don't have to have that initial thing of, okay, is this going to be a groove thing or a texture thing? Or are we going to kind of lean in or kind of lean out? You know, the composition in this case provides that um, and sort of winds us up and at least gets us all started in the same direction, but then allows us to, to interact freely and, and take it wherever it's going to go that night. Um, so that's sort of the the point of the compositions and the way I ended up with the different ones a little bit of it was was trying to balance sort of groove space and melody space and weird noise space over the course of the record some of that was a little conscious um, in that balance but some of it too was just I would get a title or an idea or whatever and sit down and whatever came out I would be like oh wow that sounds like an ornette tune <laughs> didn't really do that on purpose but it's 
up in there. So, okay, I guess that's what this one is, you know? Yeah, and it's interesting because that that same kind of methodology, like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write some sort of head that will give us a cue and we'll, we'll develop it from there, really leads to completely different results on this record. I mean, you get, you get sometimes where that melody that opened the tune is heard in one way or another, sometimes broken up or, or just recalled throughout the tune, and sometimes you kind of get that, uh, the, the bit that's obviously composed in the beginning and it never, it never occurs. The thing just takes on a whole life of its own. It's, it's very interesting that the same four guys in the same recording session come up with such a different way to approach uh, the, a similar methodology. Right. Well, some of that has to go to the fact that the other three guys are all wonderful musicians. And and we've found a spot with this band. And this has been my working band for probably a couple of years now. I use the term working loosely. But uh, every time I've had a gig, these have been the guys I've called first. Uh, for a few years now. And so we have a real rapport, and we're comfortable with each other. And that, you know, you can wind it up and set it loose, and you don't have to think, oh, if I do this, is Ray going to know where I'm trying to go? I'm, I'm confident that whatever I do, Ray's going to interpret it the way I meant it. So that, that comfort with these musicians is, uh, is rewarded in the fact that we can kind of go wherever we want on these things. Let's talk about who's with you on the record. Um, the saxophonist is Ray Moore, and we've worked together in various contexts for, oh, 15 or more years. And, uh, you know, old guy tuxedo jobbing big bands, and he had a Brazilian group that I played in. And the first record that I made with this quartet, or with a quartet, it wasn't these exact guys, um, was back in 2004, and he's the guy that I called. A bunch of I've I've known him forever. We used to work at a music store together. A bunch of my early free jazz listening was through him saying, "Oh man, you got to check this out or do that," you know. So that's the saxophonist is Ray Moore. Um, Tommy Seipel is the bass player, and uh, he and I went to graduate school together at UNO. And he's a super talented cat that can both completely swing and nail changes and totally hang in the the free improvisation stuff. And grooves very hard, so it, it leaves his presence leaves me really open to be able to do, or all of us open to be able to go wherever we want to go, and Tommy will be able to deal with it. And then Dave Capello is the drummer, and he's uh, sort of the wild card of the band. Dave has this this energy that I haven't experienced from anyone else, and uh, so he he keeps us on our toes. <laughs> Thank you. 
Did you uh, grow up in New Orleans, Jeff? I grew up in Lafayette, which is a couple hours west of New Orleans. New Orleans is the big city that you move to if you grow up in Lafayette and want to move to the city. And so is that what you did when you decided it was time to to take a shot at the music thing? Uh, Yeah, when I finished high school, I moved to New Orleans to go to Loyola and study music. I went to Loyola for four years, got a jazz studies degree, went out and did cruise ships for a while, and then ended up back in New Orleans which eventually turned into more school and more gigging. And But I was, you know, I knew people and I could make a living playing music. So, I mean, not make a living playing this music. I make a living playing Mustang Sally and Brickhouse. But, you know, it's a living with my trombone, so I'm not going to argue with that. Um, yeah, so it's it's I've never really had much desire to go anyplace else. I know that you play all different kinds of music with all different kinds of people, uh, everybody from George Porter to Gatemouth Brown and on and on. And I wonder, when it comes time to, to make an album like similar in the opposite way, uh, does that does all that other music inform what ends up on this record? It does. It, it's really funny that, you know, I kind of can't get away from those other things. Not that I would want to, but I just, you know, if you get off a gig with, George Porter and Russell Baptiste one night. No matter what you're doing the next night, at some point you're going to crave that super bad groove that you were in the middle of the night before. You know, and I, I feel so blessed in certain ways to get to play with these these great New Orleans musicians like George and and Russell and uh, and you know all these guys. It's just such a a history of groove in what they do, and I find that even in the more jazz influenced, and especially in the outer things, um, I, I like having that that groove stability. And sometimes it's overt, like on the bag full of po boys. Oh yeah, track. sometimes I mean, it's... it's real straight up, and I'll tell them, "Look, this is a groove tune." And I'll even tell Dave, the drummer, like, "Okay, look, this tune is about the groove." And 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 then other times it's not. Other times it's about more about the interaction or or there's a tune uh, on the record called Chalk and Chocolate that's a very rhythmic thing but it's not necessarily a groove thing if if that makes sense the the way the piece is written is it emphasizes a a sort of rhythmic motion but it's not a metric you know here's your four beats and they keep going in this order
I know in reading about you that I kept coming across this phrase, the New Orleans-Chicago continuum. What, what is that phrase a reference to? Uh, that, that's a, a marvelous phrase that my publicist or his writer came up with. <laughs> no, I, I've, I've been spending more and more time in Chicago, and the guys in sh- sort of that scene in Chicago has really influenced what I've been doing um, especially recently, right after Katrina, I uh, called Jeb Bishop, a trombonist in Chicago, who we had met through online trombone communities, and then he had been down here with uh, Broadsman, and, and we got to hang out some. And I heard actually his trio played at the Blue Nile on Frenchman Street back before Katrina. And I was looking to bring a band up to Chicago. I said, you know, there's not going to be anything going on here for a while, and, and we need to play. Can you help me hook some stuff up? And uh, and he said, yeah, sure, and when you come up, maybe we should do a thing with some guys from up here and the guys that you bring from down there. It would be kind of fun. Well, the way the timing worked, it ended up being a few months before it happened, and Quinn Kirchner, who was the drummer in my band down here at the time, ended up back in Chicago where he was originally from. So I was the only guy that came up from New Orleans. But that idea eventually became the band The Lucky Sevens. And we've done two CDs. Our, our second CD just came out on Clean Feed a couple weeks ago. So I've been back and forth to Chicago dealing with this band and then starting to do other projects up there. Um, was just up there recording with Hamid Drake for his new thing. So I've, I've sort of absorbed a bunch of the Chicago influence of that kind of, you know, hungry brain, elastic hideout scene, um, of those players, the Velvet Lounge, you know, the guys that are doing that stuff, and incorporated some of that into what I'm doing down here. And then when I go on the Lucky Sevens things, taking some of this down here and infusing it into what's happening up there, hopefully. Is there a good audience in New Orleans for the kind of music that you play with the quartet that's on this record? You know, there's getting to be more and more. The series that we do on Tuesday nights, which is different groups every Tuesday, um, but I, you know, I'll book the quartet on it every couple of months, probably. Um, has been getting more and more well attended over. We've been going about a year and a half, and uh, at the beginning, everyone that was there was someone that I knew. And now I can stand in the back of the room and go, I don't know any of these people. Where did all these people come from? <laughs> you know, and and we book fairly crazy stuff every week you know one of the goals of the series is to try to do uh try to have a place for things to happen that wouldn't happen otherwise and have been fairly successful in that and have been getting a good a decent crowd out for it enough that the club's happy and the musicians are happy and uh, and it keeps that working so yeah I, th- I think there is an audience and it's an enthusiastic audience if not a huge audience but the more people hear music that's presented in a an honest and I'll say soulful not to mean like musically derivative of Al Green but to mean coming from one's soul uh, you know honest and soulful music touches people and if they hear it in a situation where they're they're ready to let it be what it is they they tend to like it yeah and this is um this next sentence is certainly not an original observation to me, but it, but it's absolutely the case that if you go back and listen to Ornette's early music now, it's hard to hear what the fuss was about sometimes because a lot of it is very approachable. I mean, those guys came out of uh, definitely a, a 
groove-based tradition, and many of the times they're playing even over chord progressions, although they weren't the standard chord progressions. And it seems like listening to similar in the opposite way, there's a lot of places here where, you know, for every morph my cheese, there is a bag full of po'boys, which I think is poetry that I just made. But for every, yeah, that's uh, good. I like that. Can thank I you very much. Like you that? absolutely can. <laughs> But it seems like there's there's going to be places all throughout an album like this and the set that I imagine would come out of it where people are going to get a chance to latch on to, to something they can they can relate to other music they've heard. It's not all just coming at them from outer space. Exactly. And I'm while I'm a firm believer that music is better when the audience does a little work, I don't feel like the audience needs to be working hard all the time. You know, it's just like your your normal stay at the office, whatever, whoever does for a living. You know, you're not always working real hard. Sometimes you take a little... And the set should be the same way. You work really hard at listening to, okay, we're going to play something for you that you've got to work at as an audience member. But then after that, it's okay to laugh or to shake your butt or to, like, have just a nice, relaxed, funny moment. You know, and I think all... If, if we start to eliminate emotions or feelings from the palette of what's available to us, I think we're doing ourselves a disservice. You know, just as much as we can be serious, intent, navel-gazing artists, we should also be able to be comedians and jokesters and, and you know, goofy party people. I, I think all of those things should be available just because we're, you know, free jazz musicians or whatever it is that we are doesn't mean that we should ignore those other aspects of our life. Hence titles like I Was Just Looking for My Pants and Ninth Ward Trotsky. <laughs> well, the, the titles pretty much all come from friends of mine in one way or another. And I've got a list on, on my phone, this little note application on my phone, of another 15 or 20 titles that are waiting to be used. Because somebody will say something funny and I'll just write it down and say, oh, that's a great title. And I was just looking for my pants. I called Justin Peake one day, who's a drummer and one of the co-curators of the Open Ear series. And I forget what I was calling him about, but he answered the phone. I said, hey, Justin, what's up? What you doing? He said, I was just looking for my pants. <laughs> and I had this perfect vision of him wandering around his house in his boxers looking for his pants. And uh, I said, oh, that's great. i got to write that down. This, that'll be a good tune. And these all came about that way. The title track from the record comes from a poet friend of mine uh, named Dennis Fermento. We were sitting in DBA, which is this bar on Frenchman Street, and I don't remember who was playing. They have music there. Somebody was playing. And we were back in the back in the corner having a conversation about something that I'm sure we thought was deep and important at the time. And, uh, and Dennis said, yeah, well, it's similar in the opposite way. And this was about a week before the recording session. I said, oh, man, you just named the record. Very nice. <laughs> just that, and hear me right then. I'm like, that's the title track of the record. I just have to go write the tune now. <laughs> that's great. So you, uh, I mean, you talked about kind of the developing scene for this kind of music, and New Orleans um, is famous for many things, and and one of them, which draws people from all over the world, is the Big Jazz and Heritage Festival. And I know that sometime around that time is also kind of a, a locals only, local music only festival. Are those are those big productions? Are they fine in space yet? Uh, for more adventurous music, or is that still some ways off? Yeah, there's French Quarter Festival. This year was just a week before Jazz Fest. It's usually a couple weeks before Jazz Fest. Um, French Quarter Festival can be hit and miss with creative things. Jazz Fest seems more and more lately to not be pushing the envelope. 
of of what they book. Although they'll have Kid Jordan, you know, they they seem to find a place for Kid every year, which is good. He deserves a spot. But the Jazz Fest doesn't tend to push it. What I found the most interesting festival of that type is in early August. There's a festival called Satchmo Summerfest, which is corresponds roughly to Louis Armstrong's birthday, and it's run by the French Quarter Festival people. It's it's the, the same organization that runs it, but they've done a a really good job of interspersing interesting things with, you know, the the trad jazz and brass band and the other things that you're expecting to get at a New Orleans festival. And uh, yeah, I don't know why that is, but they seem to have. have for the most part, done a pretty good job of that. How is the cultural recovery of the city progressing? I don't know. These recovery questions are always hard to answer because I I feel awkward speaking for beyond my own personal experience. Culturally, I feel like things are going pretty well. I know for me, uh, my creative output has... Uh, been well received and I've had places to do it Um, the symphony orchestra seems to be doing well the big theater in in, uh, Armstrong Park has reopened the Mahalia Jackson Theater for the Performing Arts so the opera's moved back in there Um, you know the sort of art gallery scene around the quarter and whatever seems to, to be as healthy as it was before but I'm not you know, real deeply connected to that to know. Um, there are other things just outside of the cultural arena where you, I'll, where was I? Oh, it was after Jazz Fest. I was walking through a neighborhood, which is kind of in the, the middle of town, and there were way more empty houses than I expected to see there. You know, houses that still hadn't really been fixed or, or reclaimed. And I'm thinking, man, it's been almost four years. You know, but the people that are back and have fixed their houses and are back to going out to clubs and hearing music and working and doing what we do seem, you know, it seems to be a fairly healthy scene. Well, the album is called Similar in the Opposite Way. It's the Jeff Albert Quartet, and uh, Jeff Albert has been my guest. Jeff, it's been a pleasure talking with you and listening to the record, and uh, wish you all the best and hope you'll come back again. Great. Thanks so much, Jason.
That's Jeff Albert from his new album, Similar in the Opposite Way. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of The Jazz Session is also available for free at TheJazzSession.com and in iTunes. The Jazz Session has an email mailing list, which is a great way to win free CDs. And you can sign up at TheJazzSession.com. If you're on Facebook, there's also a group there for The Jazz Session, and I occasionally give away CDs to those fine folks, too. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet. They've got a brand new album out called Serious Respect. Check them out online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. Thanks very much for listening. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.